Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show's hot takes for series 12 of Doctor Who. I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And here we are, Dave. This is very unexpected because we promised the listeners we'd wait for the second episode, Spyfall episode 2, before we actually did this first hot take. But here we are. Yes, here we are. It worked out that we were both actually slightly more free and available than we thought we were. And it also worked out that episode one of Spyfall had a lot of things to talk about in it. And we were very confident. In fact, we knew when we that we could get a full episode out of this and, um, and, and, and probably more. So we were very keen to start talking. Yeah, that's the thing. We we're thinking, would we sit there next Monday night, Australian time, and talk about this plus a whole other episode in 30 or 40 minutes? No, probably not. <laughs> no, so it's worked out well. So here we are. Yeah, why don't we start off with some top-level thoughts, Dave? Not too spoilery, and then we'll bash into some, some spoiler town stuff. Sure, so to go right back to 30,000 feet... As I said in our last episode, and as I went into a bit more detail on on the 42 to Doomsday Christmas episode I guessed it on, I had a lot of confidence when I saw the trailer for this season that Chibnall had understood the concerns of a lot of fans and viewers, and that trailer just said, monster, 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 explosion, 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 nostalgia, 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 you know, everything you want we can get. And that left me with a lot of confidence. And I think that that confidence has been rewarded in this episode overall i i really really enjoyed it it was a good fun adventure it had some nostalgia it had some explosions it had some monsters it it had all the kind of things that make doctor who doctor who now it wasn't perfect I, i had one significant and important criticism and a few quibbles we'll talk about so not perfect but a very enjoyable start and possibly the most enjoyable opener for some time yeah, look, for me, Dave, I was very impressed. And not just because of the stunts and the budgets and the explosions, but the whole feel of the story. Uh, to me, it almost felt Pertwee-esque in places. You had these mysterious beings, I don't know, from space or some other dimension appearing. You had the Doctor on a motorbike, and you had that reveal, which we can't talk about because we're in non-spoiler territory. To be fair, I wasn't sure how I felt in the first 10 minutes. I felt like I was enjoying it, but I wasn't sure where it was going to go. But towards the end, I started having this genuine, hey, this is very good feeling, sort of just wash over me. And I sort of stopped and thought, "Am I, is, is that genuine? Am I really feeling that? Yes, I am. Oh, my God, this is good. I like this. Yeah, I enjoyed it very, very much as well. I think some of it can't be properly assessed until we know whether the payoffs and the explanations are there in part two. That's the same for any two-parter. Uh, I think that a large amount of the immediate hot take reaction to this episode from fans will be all about the last five minutes Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm going to try and avoid making my comments about the last five minutes in their entirety although it's a big thing we we will be talking about yes Uh, and maybe I guess on that note we should say spoilers from here on Yeah, spoilers from here on, and I thought it might be good because this is our first episode of the new series to maybe just go through all the characters who have returned. We we almost got little sort of, not flashbacks, but sort of insights into what their life was doing as this episode started. Maybe we can run through the characters, then some of the scenes and things we noticed, and then uh, get onto our uh, sports desk, Dave. So we therefore lead with what is my biggest problem with the episode, and that's the Doctor. Really? Now, we'll reinforce to our listeners, 
Rob and I avoided social media before we watched this episode, so we went in unspoiled. I've barely had a chance to look at reaction on social media between watching and recording. I don't know if you have, Rob. I've actually gotten quite involved since I watched. Right. So I genuinely don't know what the vibe is and what the the, the, the reaction's been to, to this episode amongst fandom. So I'm going in very cold, Rob. You're going in slightly slightly warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know whether this is a thing that just was a problem for me or this is going to be a thing that others have said. I had a lot of problems with the Doctor in this episode. I thought it was the one big issue that I had. There were a few too many times when I thought the Doctor was too stressed, too scared, too at the whim of events. Uh, It's a problem that we highlighted last season, as you recall, Rob, particularly in the Mm -hmm. first half, that occasionally Jodie's Doctor just seems to give up too easily or just to be intimidated too easily. That came across very much for me in this. There were some nice moments and some nice lines, particularly her interaction with C. I thought that was very well written. Uh, Certainly better written than I think her character's been previously. But even some of the stuff where... And maybe it's because they're doing the whole spy genre pastiche that they've made the Doctor into a kind of someone to fit into that world. And the stuff where she was sitting there and suddenly she's just like reading stuff on the internet on a computer, you know, on the computer and all that. I'm like, that's that's not the Doctor. Somebody else does that. The Doctor consults the TARDIS or knows this because they visited here or finds a clue. It's just, it didn't seem Doctor-esque to me. Um... And particularly in that last five minutes, which I thought was amazing, I was very disappointed with her reaction. You gasped when I said this at the start, Rob. Not your feeling? No, no, not at all. I I felt that Whitaker had a more nuanced take on the Doctor than last series, which was to be expected or at least hoped for. I was hoping for it. A bit of the crazy remains, but on the whole, I felt she was a bit more grounded, a bit more immersed in the role. And I thought her performance was very good. For example, uh, you talk about her with Stephen Fry. What about her confrontation with um, Daniel Barton, the um, the Lenny Henry character, Mm. at, at the party? I thought that was more along the lines of what she was doing in Resolution, where she was up against the Dalek. And here, faced with another nasty bugger, she sort of hardened up a bit showed a bit of steel and and i've made a note that she was less children's tv presenter and more time lord i thought that was a very good scene so i was kind of happy with jody in this episode i've got to say yeah don't get me wrong as i said there's certainly very well written scenes and stuff that i enjoyed in her performance and i wasn't hating her from go to war or anything anything nearly that sort of Mm. invective but there were a number of moments and enough moments that i thought it was a pattern where i've gone the Doctor wouldn't be scared here. The Doctor wouldn't be intimidated by that. The Doctor wouldn't just go and look it up like thumping a key. Really? Mm. And, 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 and as I say, when we get to the, the big sort of cliffhanger time, I thought, no, that's that's not right. Uh, so, okay. look, it's, it's, not a, it's not a strong thing, but that was my biggest criticism of the... Um, of the of the episode, and I'm, I'll be genuinely curious to see whether look, this is just something that hit me the wrong way, or others have noticed it as well. Well, it's interesting when I watch this for the second time, probably later tonight. I'll um, I'll actually look for that in the in my second viewing. Mm, no, I'll be interested to see your thoughts. 
Alrighty. Moving on to Bradley Walsh. Of course, Graham O'Brien. Dave, I just felt like he's a comfy pair of slippers. He just takes off again from where he ended last time. I think worst Uber ever was one of the best lines in the episode, and that was a Graham line. Not a whole lot to say here. I think because Bradley Walsh has always been very good, very steady in the role, so nothing in the performance really surprised me or stood out. One character moment I took note of was when O said he had lots of information on the Doctor, and Graham seemed unusually interested in that. And I, I didn't, don't know if that foreshadows something. Does Graham want to learn more about the Doctor? Or was it just a one-off scene? I'm not sure. It just seemed to be played up a little more than would be normal. We were in disagreement over the Doctor. We're in absolute lockstep over Graham to the point that I was going to highlight exactly the same scene. Oh, so, really? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> real, fair, fair dingo. I had it written down here, his um, his conversation with O. Graham didn't get a lot to do in this episode, but once again, Bradley Walsh's performance meant that what lines he did have were very noticeable, very well done, very well delivered. And yes, the subtlety of that performance. And you didn't mention the moment where O said to him, you know, I knew I knew her back when she was a him. Mm. And Bradley Walsh was like, I thought that was a joke. Yeah. And you can sort of see his mind going maybe I don't know as much about this person that I've been hanging out with as, as I as I thought I did. Yeah? And, yeah, no, I um, agree with you. Very good performance. Excellent. Uh, let's talk about Mandeep Gill because Yaz was in this episode. Had a yes. bit more to do than normal. I, I wasn't blown away by her. I wasn't going, oh, my God, thankfully, now Yaz is leading the plot. Um, she gets some nice stuff at the start. Her, her interaction with her um, boss down at the police station was really good. Uh, her, you know, talking talk to her family was really good. She got to be part of the plot. She got to be teamed up with Ryan, which which was good. She then kind of just got to be a bit of a peril monkey and kind of faded out again from the episode. But I think that's because this is a very Doctor-heavy episode and all the companions are kind of like... Like, like this isn't one of those ones where the Doctor, Bradley and Ryan all have a lot to do and mm. Yaz has nothing. This is one where the Doctor has a huge amount to do and the companions are kind of a year down on this occasion. So what was she given a little little to do? Yes, but so was Graham, so was Ryan. Yeah, look, a day or two before this episode went out, there was a Mandeep Gill quote going around on uh, Twitter and apparently she and the rest of the cast had dinner with Chibnall before he started writing this series and he was asking them, well, what, what do you want to do in the new series? Where do you want your characters to go? And I made this joke on Twitter and some people liked it. I said, well, she, I hope she asked him for something to do in this series. <laughs> and people were like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, last series, we weren't the Lone Ranger and saying she was such a spare wheel and quiet waste. And here, although it was the B plot, I think she was given quite a bit to do. You know, she was teamed up with Ryan, who we'll talk to uh, talk about next. And I think she certainly had the lead over Ryan in, in what they were doing in that infiltration. Certainly in the first half, absolutely. So does this mean that the Yaz problem has been fixed? Well, look, we need a few more episodes to draw that conclusion. But her trajectory is, is not too bad at this stage. Still a long way for her to go, don't get me wrong, mm. but but it felt as though, yeah, she had a bit more of a role to play in this. Maybe it was the full hour length of the episode that allowed more space for all the companions to do something? 
I think so. I think so. And, and I'll get to that as we start to talk uh, later about this being a two-parter. Yeah. But uh, it does lead us into Toast and Cole playing Ryan. And I guess if anyone suffered at Yaz's elevation in this episode, it was Ryan. And I think this just comes back to a TARDIS team of three being a tricky damn thing to wrangle. You know, I mean, he had some good lines and I think he's being set up for a romance with Yaz, Dave. Just by the way he's saying he's into her sister, which is almost a safe way of saying he wants to be in her life without saying, I want to be with you. Uh, and also the I'd never let you get hurt line later in the ep. I just thought, mm, I think something might happen here with Yaz and Ryan. Yeah, I got similar vibes as well. I don't know that'll be the case, but I totally got the vibes you're talking about. Mm. The thing that I like about Ryan, and look, he was underused here, I don't disagree with that, but the thing that I like about Ryan is that he feels like a very human character for Doctor Who. In the way that, look, I, I love many of Doctor Who's companions, but are they realistic people that would act that way, as the, you know, that act the way a normal person would act if they are confronted with the things? No, of course they're not. They're, they're, they're TV characters and, and, you know, all the rest of it. Ryan's always felt very human, and that really came across to me in this episode. Moments where you can see him genuinely battling fear and loyalty or concern and the need to complete the mission or just, just not knowing what to do but knowing he has to do something. That very human sort of thing of my instinct is just to turn away and run, coupled with, but if I do that, I'll leave Yaz in trouble. Yeah. What do I do? You know, you know that, that, I think that Tosin Cole actually plays that really well and Ryan does that really well. And that, to me, was the standout for him in this episode. Mm, well said. So we'll move on now to two of the guest cast that I actually asked if we could discuss together because I actually do want to contrast here. Yeah, I'm uh, intrigued what you're going to say. So I think we had two very, very high-profile guest cast, very well advertised beforehand. Both were very good in the roles. I'm not criticising either of them. But I will say this. I thought Stephen Fry gave a performance in a part that a thousand other actors could do just as well. The fact that it was Stephen Fry was very cool, but if it wasn't Stephen Fry, would we have got anything more or less out of that? I honestly don't think we would have. And the fact that we knew beforehand he was in it meant that it was devoid of that Bill Nye, oh my God, they've got Bill Nye, oh my God, they've got Stephen Fry moment. It was like, oh yeah, Stephen Fry's in this, he's, he's oh, he's dead, okay. Mm. In contrast... Lenny Henry was a bit of a star of this episode. He gave a really good performance. He gave a performance that I think was very much a Lenny Henry performance. It was in contrast to his normal comic sort of roles. He added certain flourishes that I think were particular to him as an actor. Obviously, he had the larger role and the greater role. But I think that Stephen Fry, lovely that he was in it, perfectly good, but dispensable, frankly. Lenny Henry brought a lot to this episode. Yeah, look, I can't disagree with you there either because, uh, I mean, with, with the Stephen Fry character, I mean, to talk about him first, I thought, oh, it's lovely to have him on, on Doctor Who on the telly. Obviously, he's done some Doctor Who audio before, like the uh, the Ministry of Chance thing back in the 90s, I think that was now, that web series. Uh, but putting that aside, when he got killed, Dave, I thought, is that it? Is there, a, is there a twist? Is, is it just maybe a dart in the neck and it's knocked him out? It's, or, or is that actually it? I, I kept waiting for the twist because I thought, you surely can't have him in this 
and that's all he's gonna do although yeah. i will say the voices of those strange energy beings they almost sounded like stephen fry at times i wondered if the, they were copying his voice or something was going on there or i was just imagining it i don't know well, well there is an episode too so maybe there is a twist although I, I didn't get that feeling and so i'll be surprised if there isn't surprises are good again if i can contrast with bill nye bill nye was only in two scenes in vincent and the doctor in the same way that Stephen Fry was in only maybe two, maybe three scenes. Mm. But one of the scenes that Bill Nye gets is the big conclusion monologue about how wonderful uh, Vincent Van Gogh was. And that sort of is the the, the, the the ultimate moment of the episode. And that's the thing the whole episode is sort of built around. It's a lovely speech. That mm. If you're going to get Bill Nye on Doctor Who, at least give him a lovely speech to do. Stephen Fry didn't get that. He just sort of got to do a bit of Basil Expedition and then get shot yeah that's which, right you know, which is a shame I'm, as I say I'm not dissing him perfectly good performance fantastic that Stephen Fry has been in Doctor Who wonderful yeah uh, but it was nothing special yeah Len- Lenny Henry was though yeah yeah well that takes me to Lenny Henry obviously Lenny Henry is a Broadchurch uh, alum which is I think the connection to this series of Doctor Who I think oh, you know, I didn't he- know that oh yeah he was in Broadchurch uh, I genuinely did not know that yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that would be his connection to Chibnall there. And, you know, this this Daniel Barton, this is the kind of villain I hate Dave, but in a good way, because he comes across as very clever and not easily fooled. And you always feel like he's about to wreck it for our heroes because he is so smart and he's just going to see through everything. And that made things very tense. And so I really did like his character. Although I've got to say I'm confused. I've only had the one viewing, as have you. How did he leave the plane and, and just leave the bomb on the seat? Did, did I miss something? Did I look away from the screen at the wrong time? Did he parachute out? If you missed it, I missed it too. I think that that is a mystery that is yet to be resolved. Uh, okay, so maybe he's been zapped by one of those energy creatures off to the weird place where Jody ends up. Or he's been teleported away or, or there's something going on there. I mean, because we still haven't got the mystery of the 7% non-human DNA. So I suspect that all that exposition and that wrap-up and that explanation will be in part two. But 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 yes, that that was a a point I think left unanswered so far. Yeah, I mean, if that's answered in the next part, fantastic. If it's not, that's slightly problematic. But anyway, that... <laughs> it's it's such a big one. It surely has to be that. Sure, there surely has to be a payoff for it. <laughs> Unless he turned into the bomb, perhaps I don't know. <laughs> Sitting on his seat. Anyway, that leaves just one main character here, Dave, and we do need to talk about Sasha Darwan as O. My first impressions were, you know, what an interesting character this this is, you know, and I did recognise him as in the actor as being in Iron Fist. He was Davos in Iron Fist, but I think I'm one of the only 28 people who actually watched Iron Fist, so, you know, probably no one remembers that. Um, <laughs> I, I think Richard, our, our friend of the podcast, has watched it as well, so he's one of the others. Oh, great. So that's, uh, that's two of the 28 <laughs> accounted for. <laughs> But, you know, with the earlier foreshadowing in this episode that, oh, in the spy game, you can trust no one, and he was the only sort of good character they were dealing with, I thought, oh, yeah, this guy's going to turn at some stage. What I didn't know was quite how far that would go. (laughs) Now, should I stop there before we talk about the M word? Yeah, let's, let's just pause on that, because I just also want to sing the praises of Sasha Darwin. Uh, I know him from one of my favourite movies, The History Boys, where he, of course, turned up alongside Samuel Barnett and Russell Tovey, um, and that chap is in some Marvel oh, movies and Mamma Mia. Um, yeah, he's, he's one of the kids yes. in that. 
Um, he also played Boris Hussein in An Adventure in Space and Time. Yes. And um, I must admit, I had a bit of a crush on him when I saw him then. <laughs> Even more so now, he's very, very hot. Um, yeah, wonderful performance, wonderful performance. And um, yeah, so on that note, let's talk about the rise of the master. Yeah, well, look, the, the master is back to being a bloke. And I guess this is a yin and yang thing. Now that the doctor's a woman, it makes sense that the master's going to go back to being a bloke. And of course, we have a person of colour in the role. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, Roger Delgado was, of course, European. And, and, you know, overtly sort of Spanish in his looks. Mm. And so it's not unprecedented at all that the Master isn't a, a you know, white Anglo-Saxon. But it is very cool. Look, the biggest thing to say, I think, straight up is for an organisation that has got the worst reputation for leaking everything that they ever do, <laughs> whether it's merchandising or schedules or casting, whatever, to have kept that quiet... I must say, kudos BBC Wales. Yeah, that was so well kept. We said right at the start, you know, what do we want? More monsters, more explosions, more nostalgia, more of a Doctor Who feeling. Well, you can't get much bigger, other than maybe bringing the Daleks back, than having a cliffhanger reveal of the Master. I didn't see it coming. I, I, I thought that something was up with the guy. Like, it was all just a little bit too convenient and... Certainly by the time the Doctor started to get suspicious, I was getting suspicious, which Mm -hmm. means that the writing is working the way that it should for the audience, which is good. But no, I didn't suspect he was the Master at all. And I think he's a very, very good Master. I've I've bought into him straight away, which I probably haven't for the other two new Who Masters. I, I... I mean, I did buy into John Sim real reasonably quickly, but it took me a little bit longer. I bought into Sasha Darwin instantly, just bought into it. I think the way that he played it against Jodie was really good. Um, I thought the way Jodie played it was very poor. You think about the moment, for example, where Tom Baker's Doctor realises the Master is inside the Melka. Or you think about some of the moments where Davison has to confront Ainley or where Pertwee gives his, you know, Faskalus is the Greek word for master. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I said, Tom in Trichon just you know, sees him recognising going, of course, the master. Yeah. Jody kind of went to pieces. Mm. That really annoyed me. So on the one hand, I, I, like, like I love the moment. I love the reveal. I love the way it was done. I love the way that he was kind of giving that anti-Jody sort of performance and being very energetic um, like, like, like equal and opposite in that. So I'm not, I'm not saying Jodie's energetic. Like, an, it was an equal and opposite performance where the master should be against the Doctor. I loved it all, but in the middle of it all, I'm going, the Doctor should not be scared of this guy. This should be a, you know, not quite a hello old friend, but like a hello old enemy moment. Like, mm. ah, it's you. Mm. Look, I'll have more to say about the master later in the show, Dave, but I'll just note that um, while you were talking, a uh, Facebook message came in from Steve Panozzo, Australian cartoonist who uh, listens to us, and he says, just watch Spyfall. So, Rarice Hussain is the master. <laughs> what a shock. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was notable. Hello, Steve, if you're listening. Nicely played there, Steve. Yeah. Look, again, I'll have more to say about The Master. So if if you don't have any more to say for now, I've got some random thoughts about the episode I'd love to crack through. Yeah, sure. First up, Dave, um, the TARDIS in the repair shop at the start of the episode. That was really cute. 
but I'm not sure how much sense it made. Now, listeners, this is fan brain engaged, so uh, do sympathise with me here. This is fan brain in action. The exterior of the ship and the interior of the ship are two totally different things. That's how the TARDIS works. So to have these presumably internal cables sticking through the external shell... I wasn't sure how that would work. Your thoughts, Dave? I had exactly the same thought. Yes, it's a really cute moment. I love the imagery. Um, but yes, the, the idea that you have cables in the outerplasmic shell. I, like, I remember thinking that to myself, well, that doesn't make sense. Then sort of going, no, no, David, you're just being a, you're just being a fan. You're being anal retentive. <laughs> Forget about it. Enjoy enjoy the funny pic. So, so yes, you're right, Rob, but I'm just going to put that aside and enjoy the lovely imagery. <laughs> a random thought from you. Uh, some very nice little references in the music. There were obviously moments where they did little homages to the Bond style of music, particularly when they were coming up to the party. But I reckon there was a lovely little Catch Me If You Can theme there as well. Oh, I'll have to go back and listen. Just just a little sort of diddly-diddy, just in the strings. I thought it was really quite nice. Interesting. Uh, Another one from me, Australia as a location. Well, it was South Africa, but uh, it was meant to be Australia. I thought it looked great, Dave. And this is one of the uh, only a few times our country has appeared in televisual Doctor Who. Uh, I thought that was good. And I thought the accents of the Australian Secret Service, I'm doing that in quotation marks because they should have been aces, um, they were almost right. I think the woman's was better than the bloke's, but they weren't too bad. Usually Australian accents are atrocious in foreign shows. Yeah, they weren't great, but they were better than a lot. I yeah love the fact that Australia was um was was mentioned. Uh, I would have been fooled by the location. In fact, I was even sort of looking at the silhouette of a couple of the trees and going, "Gee, they they look like a eucalyptus." It, it, it they, surely they didn't go to Australia just for this, like, um, yeah. and obviously they didn't. And, and you know they probably were just either eucalyptus in Africa or they're just something very similar. Yeah, well, there are, because I've read Boer War histories in the past, and Australians who were over there in the Boer War sort of were like, wow, this is like being at home, because they did find groves of eucalypts here and there. Oh, there you go, there you mm. go. Um, and look, yes, um, I mean, I've actually worked with various protective services and those sort of things that bodyguard our MPs here, and the names are wrong, the titles are wrong, the uniforms are wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, but, but, you know, how many people would have known that, but... Um, it's just an interesting contrast, though, because they got MI6 and its role right, but they couldn't name our Secret Service correctly. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but again, that's just us being being a bit anally retentive. Can mm, I true. segue from that into another of my points? Yeah, sure. Which is, given that this is Doctor Who, given they're giving us the master, given that they're doing all this nostalgia and all the feels, why MI6 and not UNIT? Well, because UNIT, I think, in resolution had been reduced to a um, a phone hotline, hadn't they? Because of Brexit or something. Yeah, yes, but A, that didn't really have a payoff in resolution. It was stupid at the time. And, and, it, and I, think it, I think it's more stupid now mm. if it means that you can't have UNIT. I mean, imagine Stephen Fry as being the new director of UNIT. Yeah, look, it was all a bit weird because if MI6 was in charge of this, why had they gotten rid of their expert in the field, the master? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, again, minor quibble, but I, I was sitting there sort of going, well, well, where is Unit? And, and I mean, they even lampshaded it by sort of saying, oh, Unit would normally do this or Torture would normally do this, do this. And the doctor's like, oh, they're all gone. I'm like, really? And, and, and I mean, let's remember, they're not actually gone. This is a fictional world. Mm. All, the, all the writer has to do is say, Unit is now back and Unit's back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, 
minor point, but I thought that could have been done. Oh, look, I, I agree. Unit is iconic and should be in the show, so uh, hopefully it just foreshadows them coming back at some stage. Another random point from you, Rob. Yeah, look, the Doctor claimed to have lived in the Outback day for 124 years. And again, fan hats on here. I hate references like this. I hate them so much. The Doctor's meant to be a thousand and something. So are we saying for almost one-tenth of his or her life, they lived in the Outback? It just doesn't make sense. And I know if the line was, I lived out here for a few years once, that doesn't sound as grand or as weird and wacky as 124 years, but it would be more palatable. And even then, for someone who can't sit still, the Doctor can never sit still. Even a few years might be a stretch for them to have just gone and lived in the outback. I sometimes wonder what the value of lines like this actually are in the show. Who, who are they there for? Who, who laughs at this? I think that they are very much aimed at the casual viewer who would laugh and not know that Doctor's age or Doctor's history. Mm. And, and, and and yes, they are lines that we would sit there and go, well, 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 well you know, that, that doesn't really compute with, with, you know, what's in the discontinuity guide and the uh, history of the universe. <laughs> and, and they don't, but I think we are now kind of at a point with the show where there's so much continuity that it's actually almost all irrelevant. Yeah. You know, you, oh, can, you, you can't tie that much continuity together, so why bother trying? Yeah, true. It's just that some of these numbers that get thrown around, they're just unrealistic. It just takes it takes me out of the episode to hear something like that, you know? Fair enough. Uh, a point from me, I just wanted to say how much I loved having a cliffhanger and how, yes. much, and, and how good this cliffhanger was. This was just a... Uh, how are they going to get out of this one coupled with a, oh my God, that revelation? Like, it's the two best types of cliffhangers smashed together. Well done on that one, Chibnall. Yeah, look, and I said I'd talk about this being a two-parter later in the episode, so let's go. We didn't have two-parters last series. Here we have a two-parter. I think it really helped the episode breathe and work and give people stuff to do because they didn't have to be moving towards a resolution, you know, 10 minutes before the 45 or 50-minute mark. I, I just, I'm, I'm like, oh, yes, two-parter, bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that did work. I, I didn't think it needed to be quite the full hour. There's some stuff in the middle that... I, I probably could have cut, but again, I'm being you know, a bit specific there. Like a lot of things, obviously, this episode will have to be reassessed when we know what's paid off and what is explained in part two. So there is stuff in this episode, as you said, Lenny Henry's character, who these mysterious aliens slash robot slash creature things are, mm. you know, what the story with O is, who was controlling the car at the start that tried to kill them, what the deal with that was there's a lot of bits in this that i'm very relaxed of being left for the part two but if we get to the end of part two and we're like what about all that stuff in part one you didn't explain that will diminish part one but given how well it's gone so far i'm sure it's all going to be tied up oh you just reminded me of a very small part there dave where they blew up the radio in the car and all that electronics but yet Stephen fry could still talk to them through the console i thought how's he talking to them they've just blown up the console anyway uh, put that aside. Shall we go to the sports desk, Dave? Let's go. So, welcome to the sports desk, Rob. It's a little bit dusty. We haven't been here for a, a full year now, but, but we are back. For newer listeners to our podcast, 
when we do review shows of Doctor Who or the spin-offs, we like to end with a bit of a stint on what we call the sports desk, where we talk about our play of the week, our foul of the week, and our most valued player of the week. Mm-hmm. And let's kick off with our play of the week. Rob, over to you. All right, Dave. I can't go past the master reveal, primarily because I was unspoiled for this. I know a lot of people out there on social were actually spoiled by this, and it really annoyed some of them. But for me, it came out of absolutely nowhere. Like I said earlier in the episode, I had a pretty good handle on Sasha Darwin turning out to be the baddie. I thought that that's probably going to happen, but I had no idea in a million years he would be the master. It just wasn't on my radar that the master would be coming back so soon. So that's my play of the week. Knowing that you would pick that as your play of the week, I picked something <laughs> different, and it's and it's a more personal one, and that is right at the very end of the episode before they did the next time trailer, there was a tribute to Terence Dix, and it said, "quote for his masterly contribution," and I think that was just a <laughs> wonderful way of phrasing it, and I, I I did get chills when I saw Terence Dix's name up there, and that this episode that featured a villain that he was such an important part of writing and developing creating was in it i thought that was just a lovely tribute so that was my play of the week oh beautiful what was your foul look i've mentioned it already it was the doctor going to pieces at the mere mention of the master's name that really did annoy me it really did feel wrong to me i've spoken about it at length in the episode so i won't repeat myself but i'll just say yeah i didn't like that and that's my foul of the week All right, my foul of the week, Dave, I've been sitting on this one because we had our discussion about the master and just as you have not been that impressed with Jodie, this is master related for me, even though I think the master reveal was the play of the week. My foul of the week, Dave, is where the master reveals himself and then suddenly he's spinning in circles and clapping and I'm like, for sake, can we have a master who doesn't do this? You know, this shtick. And I was on Facebook after the episode and someone was saying, oh, he played it mad, just like all the other Masters. And I had to jump in and say, hey, I've just rewatched Frontier in Space. The Master is nothing like that. The Master doesn't have to be that way. In fact, I think the Master's more scary when he's completely sane. And and I know this wasn't full Missy la-la-la-la-la, but it did get a bit manic and I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. Although in the next time trailer, he seems to be playing it straight again. So I don't know. But mm, that was my foul. Just him launching into that clapping and spinning and like, oh no, Christ, not again. So I know what you mean by that. And I didn't mind it partly because it allowed Sasha to really contrast the character he had been playing up until now and make it really clear that that was all an act and this is a very different personality. It was also mixed in with that moment when he pulled out the tissue-compressed actual agent that he'd killed and that he was doing a lot of very straight lines and his goodbye to the Doctor was very straight. I was very impressed by that performance and that's why I have actually given Sasha Darwin my most valuable player of the week. So he gets Ah. both foul and MVP. (laughs) I think that's a first. I think it is. Yeah, for all our sports desks. Yeah. That's good. I I like it when we disagree. It sort of reassures the audience that we didn't script this. (laughs) So, yeah, look, that's that's my MVP and, and the reasons why. Rob, who was yours? Oh, Dave, this is so tough. I mean, I was sitting here thinking, do I give it to Chibnall for bouncing back in this second series with this better, more exciting, more interesting brand of Doctor Who? You mentioned at the start, you know, he might have listened to what fans were saying and so on. I think he has too. Um, And I'm half tempted to do that, but I think... (laughs) 
<laughs> Here we go. This is certainly not scripted. I have to give it to Whitaker, who <laughs> who I feel has ironed out her doctor without any massive changes or you know course corrections from last series to seem like a different person. She still seems like the same person, but I think there's just enough tweaks to feel that she's the doctor. And yes, I think this has helped by us being more used to her as well. But I really did find her more interesting and compelling to watch and to think about. And I I really hope this sets the tone for all the stories coming up and she doesn't just suddenly lurch back into being budget David Tennant. But clearly you feel differently, Dave. And now I just want to watch the episode again so I can see your points or maybe you can see mine. I don't know. Yeah, and it could be that having got that criticism off my chest about Jodie Whittaker, I will now be a lot freer to just enjoy her performance and, and see more of what you saw. Uh, th- that's the interesting thing about these hot take reviews. This is literally just our hot random thoughts. I really do suspect that when we come back to this episode at the end of it, the season, we may have some very different views on this. And that reflects in the score that I'm giving it if we are at that point. Well, let's get into our wrap up. Yeah. So I'm going to give it what I'm going to call an interim eight which says that I really enjoyed this episode. It was fun. There were some good performances. Lenny Henry and Sasha Darwin especially. Stephen Fry was in it. That was great. Lots of good stuff in it. I suspect that if the next episode really pays everything off, by the time we get to the end of the season, particularly if I am really starting to enjoy Jodie Whittaker and it's all coming together, I will look back on this as the start of something great and it will go upwards. If it all falls apart next week or on Monday, whenever it is, maybe in retrospect my score for this will slide a little bit but sitting here right now a very enjoyable eight out of ten very very interesting because um dave i know you're looking for a stone cold classic or two this series you said that on our last monthly show yes i i don't think this was it but similar to you i'm gonna wait to see what the next episode does uh, if this goes up another level, and I think the trailer for it was quite good, then it may just squeak into that sort of territory. Yeah. But on first viewing, no, this isn't Blink. It's not Dalek. It's not World Enough in Time. But it was very, very good. My heart, as soon as the episode stopped, I thought, what's the rating? And my heart almost wants to give it a nine. But I know, I know that's the enthusiasm of the new series messing with my head and it's exciting to be back and stuff. So I'm going to say, Dave, snap a hearty 8 out of 10. Uh, yes, and let's face it, when we look back at this episode in 10 weeks' time, in a year's time, in five years' time, we won't be thinking part one and part two. This will be judged as one whole story. Yeah. And the potential's there. If they bring this home, the whole story could be a classic, or it could all fall apart. And we'll know in a few days' time, and listeners, we invite you to come back and listen to our views while you've... Uh, seen Spyfall Part 2. Exactly. These episodes are meant to be short and sweet, Dave, so I think we'll knock it on the head there. I can't wait for the next episode, though. No, look, if the aim of an episode of Doctor Who, particularly the season opener, is to make you really excited and keen to go, what happens next? Well, job done. I agree. Well, listeners, we look forward to hearing your thoughts, whether you agree with Rob or I, because we've disagreed more than usual in this episode, but Mm. we'll be back with another Hot Take review shortly, and we'll speak then. We will. Bye now. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. 
write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at The DW Show. Facebook.com forward slash The DW Show is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.